0: Welcome to First EC. Um, want to invite um, all of you to take a look at the new sign if you didn't see it on the way um, in. Want to thank uh, Kurt for for providing that for us—a nice wooden sign that tells everybody which way to go if they're heading to the sanctuary or to the fellowship hall and so forth. So, also want to thank Chaplain Lair for covering for me last Sunday. I appreciate that. I'm going to go through a couple of the announcements, but hopefully, you've been watching watching the ones that were up on the screen. want to make sure that you do see that we are going to get started with our Bible studies Sunday evenings starting October 2nd. Um, we have started prayer meetings, so in case you didn't know that was happening, Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, we have started the prayer meetings again. And wanted to remind you that Ken Sears is going to be here next Sunday, 6.30, and that on September 25th, Sunday, September 25th, um, we 're going to be having a meal for our friends at interfaith manor and and palm view there 's other things out here um, there 's probably lots of other things going on as well, but please just kind of stay and stay in touch with everyone, stay in tune. Um, is there anything else that anybody needs to share that people should know about at the moment okay well then i 'll invite you to um, to prepare your heart for worship. Let's pray. Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for for giving us this new day, this opportunity to, to serve you, to worship you as individuals, but especially this day where we can all come together and serve you as this family, this family that you call the church. Father, I pray that everything that we do here this morning Everything we sing, we say, we do would be pleasing and honorable to you, Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you. There's a black book in front of you in the pew. It's called The Bible. I'm going to invite you to pull that out and turn to Psalm 136. We have an interactive call to worship this morning. Your part's very easy and it's repetitive. So I think I think you can probably handle it. We're going to be singing in just a minute about God's faithfulness and how his his love just endures forever and that's that's what I'm going to have you I'm going to have you read that part. You can see that it was actually written basically to be a kind of a responsive type of call to worship. So Psalm 136 and we're just going to read down through verses 1 through 9. And I'll, I'll read the first part, and I'll ask you to, with, with feeling, read the part that says, His love endures forever. All right, so let's begin our worship service this morning with, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. So, what's the point? His love endures forever. Let's sing about that. I invite you to stand and sing along with the praise band. And we'll take a moment to, to lift up our prayers and our, our praises. <laughs> we were just lifting up the praise as we, as we just sang. Let's, let's lift up praise first, and then I have a few things to, a few updates to share, or I guess one update to share as far as prayers. But praises, do we have a praise right here? I just want to praise for the praise band, because it is just so, I mean, I'm thankful for everybody that goes up there, but
1: Aaron, Nick, Adam, awesome.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Back. Yes, I just want to have a praise for Max's first week of chemo and radiation went well and he just has five more weeks to go, so keep the <laughs> prayers going. Thank you. Okay. I think there was a praise over here.
2: Ginny, you stole my thunder, but that's, a, that's okay. <laughs> I do have a request uh, for Cassidy. She was diagnosed a few days ago with a, a UTI, and they... Th- I think it may be moving into her kidneys. She was complaining of some kidney pain yesterday. They did have her in the ER for some blood work and tests. But um, don't know anything yet, but just keep her in her prayers. Okay.
0: Okay, we, yeah, we also want to um, pray for Marlene Groff. Um, I got a text this morning that she's, she's in the ER this morning. She, she was... Um, suffering it sounds like from afib about two o'clock in the morning she called the ambulance at six so as soon as as soon as the service is over i'm going to run down to, to visit with her i don't know any more than that i just know that she's in the er in uh, a, a good sam so once i have a chance to visit i'll pass the information along to Ginny and she can get it out on the on the prayer chain then so we had another one back there Prayers for my father-in-law, Don, who's back in the hospital for his third battle with C. diff. It's a nasty, nasty disease. Prayers for him, please. Okay. Any other prayer requests? Oh, up top here. (laughs)
2: Two things. Um, One for me personally, my grandmother, thankfully, is mostly recovered from COVID, but unfortunately now has come down with shingles. So um, she's in isolation again and in a lot of pain. So just prayers for my grandmother that she gets over this hump. Um, And then also on Zoom from Jim, he has another job interview on Tuesday and he requests prayer that it goes well.
0: Well, Jim, pay attention to the sermon because we're going to be talking about jobs and job interviews today. <laughs> well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for the beauty that you do provide for us. We thank you for all those praises that were lifted. We thank you that you are able to give um, gifts. People, the ability to do so many different things and can serve in so many different ways for the for your church. We uh, yes, we just we just thank all those who who help us out in the in the morning Sunday mornings with these uh, with these services. We thank you for the the young the young ones that are that you have given so much talent to and that they're using it in such a wonderful way. Father we want to lift up these these prayer requests we we pray for Marlene you know what's going on there we th- we are glad that you're with her and that you're watching over her and we don't know much but um we pray that your your healing hand will touch her that you will calm her heart rate and um that you'll work with the the doctors and the specialists there to to get her back to a point where she can she can go back home also Cassidy with her UTI and Don and Amy's grandma, and we just pray that they also will feel your your healing touch. I pray that all of them will will feel your calming presence as well, that they will know that you're in control and that you're working through the doctors for their healing. We pray for Jim as he goes to another job interview. Father, I pray that you will help him to know his calling, to know what job is just right for him, what job you have ready for him, and how you are preparing him for that job. Father, I also want to lift a special prayer for all of our students, all of our teachers, all of our faculty, bus drivers, janitors, everybody who's involved with our school systems and our higher education systems. Father, I pray that you will Watch over them, that you will protect them, that you will lead them. I pray, Lord, that they will think of you first whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's concern, whenever there's stress. Father, I pray that you're the go-to. Father, we, we know that school is so much different than it was for many of us. But, Father, we pray that you will continue to allow our students to to continue to learn, that they will be taught truth, they will be able to discern the truth, and that you will watch over them each day. Father, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've also chosen our next hymn, hymn number 367, and I want you to sing this as a prayer. I want you to think about our schools, think about our students and our teachers and so forth as we sing about um, opening our eyes, opening our ears, opening our mouth so that the truth would come in. Just think about them, sing this as a representative for them. Um, It also applies in your life as well. So let's stand and sing hymn number 367. Mm. Mm-hmm. to read our scripture first today just it's just two verses i'm reading from psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 it says unless the lord builds the house the builders labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the guards stand watch in vain in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. There's also a translation on that very last verse where it says, for while they sleep, he provides for those he loves. And I've chosen this particular scripture text because, of course, today is Labor Day weekend, or Labor Day Sunday. Tomorrow is Labor Day, and today we're going to focus our attention on labor. It's kind of ironic that on Labor Day, we pay tribute to the contributions and the achievements of American laborers by not laboring. So maybe it should be unlabor day or no labor day, but whatever. We, anyway, it's a day that kind of symbolizes the end of summer. Women put their white clothes away, right? No white after Labor Day. No, that's not true anymore. Okay, (laughs) But we also close up our pools, vacations are over, time to get back to school, time to get back to church, and time to get back to work on a regular schedule. And today's message is directed to anyone who does any kind of work. So I want to make sure that that we're not going to have anybody leave. How many of you do any kind of work during the week? Uh, I mean... You get up, you dust, you vacuum, something. I mean, okay. No, nobody does, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, okay, I guess it, this won't apply to you. But this will apply to anybody who does any kind of work. And the message for today is that whenever you're working, whether it's at a, an actual income-generating job, or whether it's in your yard, or whether it's just around your house, you should consider your work to be an act of worship. And maybe you've never thought about it that way before. If you're out digging weeds and it's uh, hard-packed ground and it's a hot, steamy, miserable day, you probably weren't thinking about God at the time, were you? Or if you've ever worked in a warehouse or in a, a factory, sometimes those places can get pretty hot and miserable. The job can be monotonous, and so maybe you don't think about God, or maybe you at least don't think you're worshiping God when you're in those factories or, or warehouses. Or maybe you're somebody who is fortunate enough to work in air conditioning, but you're on the phone all day, or you're on the computer all day, or what's worse, maybe you have to deal with people all day, and maybe you don't feel like that's worship either. Well, you were created to work, you were created. For labor. Now, some people think that labor was a result of the fall, that it's a curse imposed by God because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But that's not quite right. If you remember, Adam was given a job to do right at the beginning of creation. He was asked to do a little bit of work. Now, when they sinned, the work just got a little bit harder, of course. But from the beginning, man has been created to labor. And then women were created to be a suitable helper, So they were created to labor as well. Now here's the catch, though. You weren't just created to labor. You were created for some specific type of labor. And you will experience the most happiness. You'll feel the most useful when you're doing the work that God created you to do. Unfortunately, according to a Gallup poll from June of 2021, Only 15% of workers in the U.S. feel actively engaged by their jobs. Actively engaged means that they feel a sense of passion about their work, that there's a connection with their employer. So that means that 85% of the U.S. labor force is doing what they're doing because they feel like they have to. They're just doing their job for a paycheck. And that's sad. It's not just sad, it's tragic. Because those of us who are not yet retired, we spend at least half of our waking hours at our jobs. And you can usually tack on a few more hours just for driving to those uninspired jobs. One of the problems is that people have not developed a theology of work. A theology of work. Now, it's not as deep as it sounds. Stick with me. I hope I haven't lost anybody there. You might question me. You might say, I've got to be kidding. Your job is so bad, it's so miserable, that there can't be any theology involved with it. Well, I'm telling you that there is. And you need to have a theology of work. So let's work on one together this morning. Let's start with the word theology. Theology really just means the study Of God. It's how we understand God. What do we know about God? And so a theology of work says, how is God involved with my job? How is God involved with my labor? And it goes even deeper. What is God's purpose for you? What labor does God want you to be doing? Think about this. We like to hear stories about how pastors are called to the ministry, right? Every interview I've had, from Jubilee Ministries down in Lebanon to when I entered the seminary in Myerstown. We had an assessment center with the denomination. My interviews with the churches that I've served, they all want to know, how was I called? How do I know I was called to this position? And when we have a missionary home on furlough, and we get a chance to have them speak at the church, just like Ken Sears is going to be here next, next Sunday evening. A lot of times we like to hear about how they knew they were called. How did they answer a call to do what they do? But are pastors and ministers, pastors, ministers, and missionaries the only ones that are called? Absolutely not. Being a plumber can be a calling. Being a carpenter can be a calling. It was Jesus' calling for a little while, and then he was called into ministry. Being a receptionist can be a calling, no pun intended. Being a teacher, a stay-at-home dad, a bank teller, any any kind of job that you can think of, they can all be a calling, and they should all be a calling. And none of those are any less a calling than a pastor or a missionary. You know, it might be kind of neat if we would add a new question to the interview process for every new job. The question would be, how do you feel called to this position? Can you imagine the looks you might get? Somebody applying to be a server at Texas Roadhouse. And as they're going along, all of a sudden the question comes, "Well, how do you feel called to this position? Probably get a little bit of a strange look. Somebody applying for a job at Lowe's, or they want to be a greeter at Walmart. How do you feel called to this position? I think we'd get a lot of blank stares, wouldn't we? especially since 85% of Americans don't feel called to their jobs. But as Christians, that's exactly how we should approach a new job. Do I feel called to this position? We should think the same way about our current jobs also. Was I called to fill this position, or did I just take it to earn a paycheck? Now, for most people, the answer is probably Well, I don't know. How do I even know what my calling is? Well, here's four things to consider when you're trying to determine if a job is your calling. First of all, where do your natural interests lie? Those would be interests that God gave you. There's a gentleman named Edward Crosby Johnson that as he was growing up, he observed his father who worked in a family retailing business But he noticed that his father loved his hobbies, but found no pleasure in his job. And so Johnson decided he was going to find something that he liked to do and something that he was good at. He started out as a lawyer. That didn't work out so well. Then in the 1940s, he got a management contract for a small startup mutual fund company called Fidelity, headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. Johnson loved his job, and he built up Fidelity Investments to be a premier mutual fund company that many of you have probably even heard of today, 80 years later. Johnson wrote to his Harvard classmates, he says, it is a real thrill to try to give the small investor by which our company is mainly comprised as good a job of investing as the big man gets. He had a purpose, he had... He had meaning. He, he had something that he was striving for based on his natural interests. So what kind of things interest you? What kind of things motivate you? Is it designing? Is it planning? Selling? Organizing? Working with your hands? Talking to people? Whatever that is, your, your first step toward identifying your calling is to identify your natural interests. And the second step is to identify your natural abilities. God also gives us certain abilities. Another investor, John Templeton, he started out wanting to be a missionary. But then when he was at Oxford, he met some missionaries. He got to talk to them and realized that he didn't have what it takes to be a missionary. But he said, well, I do have the ability to make money. So he devoted his life to making money to support missionaries. So what are your natural abilities? If you're five six and you can't dribble a ball, your calling is not to play professional basketball. And that principle applies to every type of job. God made you in a certain way, so take a look at what he gave you. Take a look at your natural abilities. Now, you're also going to want to take a look at your acquired abilities. These are the things that you've been trained to do. One of my natural abilities seemed to be to think logically. Used to be. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't apply anymore. But One of my natural abilities used to be, seemed to be, to think logically. I loved playing chess, for instance. And so one of my acquired abilities was to program computers. That's what I did for many years before being called to preaching. So, what acquired abilities have you gained? It can be through a job, it can be through formal education, it can even be through a hobby like playing chess. Consider your natural interests, your natural abilities, your acquired abilities, and then you need to consider probably the most important things that we've been talking about recently what are your spiritual gifts? Every believer receives at least one spiritual gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. We talked about this several weeks ago, but just reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit." To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of languages. And to still another, the interpretation of languages. And all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines... And that's a very important part of that verse. It's not like the Holy Spirit has a basket full of spiritual gifts and he starts tossing them around and sees what sticks. He didn't toss things around and, and all of a sudden leadership and administration was in Vicky's uh, spiritual gift list. No, she doesn't think that would work too well. He determines, and it's based on how you've been created, what natural interests you were given, what natural abilities you were given. He takes a look at Vicki and he says, you know what I've got planned for you? The gift of serving, of helps. It's determined already. It's not something that's just random. The spiritual gifts usually are in sync with your natural abilities. So knowing your spiritual gifts can help you be more effective in your calling the calling that is your job. Of course there are tools to assist in determining your spiritual gifts. I'll encourage you again to make an appointment with me. I'll share one of those tools with you. I found the assessment that you took several years ago. I've got my own version as well. We can come up with something. But we we've talked about how it would be helpful for determining your calling here in the church. But now here's another reason. It can also be helpful for determining your calling to a new job. It's very important that you take the time to identify your spiritual gifts. You want to identify your spiritual gifts, identify your natural abilities, your acquired abilities, and your natural interests. All of this will help to recognize your calling. And then you'll honor God, you'll worship God by doing the work that he designed you to do. God wants you to work. God doesn't want you to toil miserably. He wants you to labor cheerfully. And he wants you to satisfy a need of the world while doing it. And there's still one more thing you can do. So you find a job, matches your gifts and abilities, you find great satisfaction in it, how do we actually worship God at that job? Well, obviously one way is to witness directly to coworkers, but there are other ways that are not as direct and not as in-your-face, but just as full of worship. Let me just quickly give you three ways. First of all, work with integrity. The single most important attribute in business is integrity. Anyone whose business has been around a long time And it's built up a good reputation. They've earned that reputation by having integrity. And that's whether they're a Christian or not. But it's even more important for Christians to have integrity because, like it or not, our actions reflect on God, positively or negatively. We are ambassadors of Christ. And that ambassador title has a lot of responsibility with it. The Apostle Paul gave this advice to Titus. Titus was mentoring a group of young men. He said, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. The greatest proof of integrity is if people can't find anything bad to say about you. They may not like you, and they may tell people they don't like you. They don't like the fact that you're honest. They don't like the fact that you're fair, that you're just, that you do what you say you're going to do. But they can't say anything bad about you because you have integrity. Another way to worship at work is to serve people. The purpose of our spiritual gift is to serve Christ By serving others. First Peter four verse ten. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when we're working, the most practical way to love your neighbor is to serve them. Now you're you're probably not gonna get down and wash a co worker's feet. They probably wouldn't let you do that anyway. But you can offer to help them meet a deadline or you can do some running for them. You can be a gopher for them to help them get something done or maybe you're the person who normally has someone get you a cup of coffee. They come in or they bring a bring a drink for you. Well, it's not coffee anymore. They probably bring you a latte or a cappuccino or whatever. But maybe one time you can serve them by going out and getting one for them. and They'll be surprised but they'll see how you're you're serving them. There's very small practical ways that you can show service and ways that you can worship God without ever mentioning his name or even mentioning the name of Jesus. The third way you can worship at work is to maintain proper priorities. We all live by priorities. Priority is something that we assign some level of importance or urgency to. When we prioritize, we arrange our items and our tasks by their order of importance. And we have to do this because if we don't decide what's important, somebody else will do it for us. And Jesus is our model here, our model for setting priorities in business and in life. Jesus was very popular. Whenever he would come to town, he was a rock star. Everybody wanted to see him. And sometimes he was so overwhelmed by people that he didn't even get a chance to eat. They wouldn't even let him pray in peace. So Jesus had to set his priorities. In Luke chapter 4, we read about how at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. He went to a place to be alone. But the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus had the opportunity to stay where he was. He he had an easy assignment. They were looking for him. They came to him. They didn't want him to leave. He had a captive audience. A preacher's dream didn't have to worry about how do we get more people in the church They were just showing up, by the hundreds, by the thousands. But he knew his calling. He knew that he had to preach about the kingdom of God to the other towns also. It says, and so he he knew that that was a priority. He knew that he had to go. He made his decisions on the basis of his priorities, not his pressures. He knew his calling. He knew his purpose, and that helped him understand what was important and what wasn't. Work is a high priority, but for Christians, work is just one of many priorities. Of course, many Christians get the work priority out of whack. They see themselves defined by their work. As a Christian, your purpose is wrapped up in growing God's kingdom and tending his earth not building an empire as Christian laborers we are a workforce that is ordained to serve in the job markets around us please remember that your work is not just a platform for ministry it is ministry we're stewards put in charge of this earth until Jesus comes back We have to do our part in whatever labor force we're called to. While God is taking care of the most important task, and that's bringing people into right relationship with him and with each other. Keeping that in mind will allow us to feel the most happy, the most joyful, the most alive, and the most useful in our jobs. And now we have developed a wonderful and godly theology of work. So no longer should you see work as just a job. Now I want you to see work as worship. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the truth that we find in it. Thank you for the way that you have, you have truth for us for every situation, even on a day when, when we're just talking about work. Father, help us to always remember that you have us hopefully where you want us to be. Hopefully we are following your calling, and help us to challenge ourselves Is this where God wants me? Is this what God has designed me for? And then we ask for your help to lead us to the right answer. I also pray that you will help lead those who are looking for new jobs. You'll help them understand whether or not this is the right job for them. Is this their calling? I pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, I'll invite you to stand as we sing our final hymn, Standing on the Promises, number 236. your benediction, I wanted to read from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, where we hear Paul say, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.